morning. I am your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the October 28th edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guest for the whole hour will be Irvine City Council member and candidate for re-election, Larry Agron. As we go into the second day of KUCI's Fun Drive, I ask, where but this community radio station would you get this kind of coverage of this high-profile local polit- politician? Yes, I'm asking you for your support in the form of a $35 donation or more to KUCI 8245824, UCI, KUCI. Or go online at KUCI.org to voice your appreciation for this kind of opportunity that I'm so glad to bring to you where you start receiving our lovely premiums. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the Fun Drive promo contest. The, the winners whose voices you'll be hearing include Stefan Versaloni, law school administrator, Sheila Hoodle, administrator at the School of Humanities, and Anthony Macarenas of the Cancer Center at UCI Medical. 949-824-5824-KUCI.org, now through November 7th. Celebrating KUCI's 45 years of existence, we ask for your support in helping us thrive all the more for another 45. Now we'll pause for a short station break. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Larry Agron. Welcome back to the show, 1001, 1002, 1003. Whose voice do you think that we could be overhearing? A sleep-deprived candidate or a voter counting up all the mailers accumulating at their front door this campaign season? We've got one more week to go. The count's going to keep it coming, I imagine. My guest for the whole hour today is Irvine City Council member Larry Agron. He, I don't know how many, uh, how many sheep he's counted up to at this point. He'll tell us maybe. that uh, He's first served on the Irvine City Council from 1978 to 1990, including six years as mayor. He later was elected back into office on the council in 1998, where he's been serving ever since, either as a council member or as mayor. As council member, Larry Egren served as chair of the board of directors of the Orange County Great Park, the entity designated to oversee the design, construction, operation of the Great Park. Larry Egren has also served as legal counsel for Cal State Senate Committee on Health and Welfare. He's taught legislation and public policy at the UCLA School of Law and at the UCI Palmerage School of Business. He returns to Ask Leader after having covered, I believe, San Onofre decommissioning questions, among other things. We welcome him back to Ask a Leader. Welcome again, Larry Agron. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, we're so lucky to have this much time. I want to remind listeners, of, they've heard on earlier weeks, uh, and it's a posting now, is I offered the last remaining, not having appeared, council candidates, Jeffrey Lalloway and Lynn Schott, and uh, despite my repeated efforts to incorporate them into today's program, whether it was a pre-recording or live appearance, I did not receive word back from them, so that gives Larry Agron this complete hour to make it a, we'll take it, we'll take stock of a very long council career and a highly charged with controversy uh, campaign in its last laps. So let's start engaging in how the campus constituents, they benefit and are affected by your policy considerations. Let's first talk about 
your budget priorities and how they address this part of the town. You know, there's been some special permits that have been uh, granted by the majority on the council that have changed a little bit of the local uh, air quality, <laughs> the parking lot uh, allotment and other things. But there, we, what I've asked the other council members is to go to the beginning of this 2013-2014 legislative session where four items were on the chopping block, including the, the Barclay Theater. Could you tell us what your disposition was at that discussion and that vote as it affects the constituents proximate to that amenity, among others? Sure. Well, after 12 years of progressive leadership, in the mayor's seat and uh, on the city council. Ours is a five-member city council. The mayor sits uh, as one of the council members. Uh, after uh, 12 years of progressive leadership, uh, when I was mayor from 2000 to 2004, when Beth Crom was mayor from 2004 to 2008, and when Suki Kang was mayor from 2008 to 2012, after that 12-year run of majority progressive control, uh, the town uh, voted for Stephen Choi to become mayor and uh, also uh, put in uh, on the council Christina Shea, giving the conservatives and, frankly, uh, the folks who are running things now are not conservative in the traditional sense. They're more uh, in the nature of Tea Party Republicans. They uh, declared that they were prepared to take the city in a different direction. Those were their words, not mine. They wanted to take the city in a direction. That different direction, as it turns out, was to slash and burn uh, all kinds of public projects and public services, including the investment that we have in the Barclay Theater. As uh, many of your listeners may know, the Barclay Theater on the UCI campus is in fact owned by the city of Irvine. We're very proud of that. We're proud of our 20-plus year relationship with the theater and providing about a million dollars annually in support. They wanted to cut that support to the theater in half. It would have resulted in tremendous cuts in all kinds of theater programs, dance programs, and the like, mostly for children. It would have ended uh, almost certainly any outreach of the theater. It would have irreparably destroyed the relationship between the theater operation, and the UCI campus. We've had a wonderful partnership. But that was just one measure of the kind of thing they wanted to do. We've also historically been supporting the Legal Aid Society, providing legal services, especially for lower-income individuals and students, I might add. Uh, they wanted to cut that, $100,000. They even wanted to cut our modest investment in the Human Relations Commission and in fair housing. That's the county-wide. These are county uh, programs that we participate in to maintain good human relations, cultural relations uh, in this city, reduce conflict, and increase harmony. Uh, this was the direction 
the new direction that they wanted to go in, the different direction, which I've since described over and over as the wrong direction for Irvine. So then there's been some special permits issued across the street from the campus. I know that there was an opportunity to um, not grant the special permit or negotiate terms. Can you break down a little bit about the drive-in that's changed a little bit of the landscape there um, at, at the university center? Uh, at the uh, university town center, as we used to refer to it, uh, uh, there was an application pushed forward uh, by the Irvine Company, and as it turns out, the, uh, the tenant there, Chick-fil-A, for what turns out to be a massive Chick-fil-A drive-through that is displacing some 45 to 50 parking spaces there that is anything but the kind of attractive building that ought to help cement a town-gown relationship. Instead, people coming over the bridge can look down at a a franchise, uh, Chick-fil-A, with a long drive-through and a lot of queuing of cars, creating localized air pollution and other problems. Uh, I just thought that was a very, very bad uh, planning decision. That was one that was enthusiastically embraced by Mayor Stephen Choi, uh, by Jeffrey Lalloway, and, as it turns out, by uh, Lynn Schott, who is also uh, running as part of their team. She was their planning commissioner, helped uh, rush it through the planning commission. It came to the council, the mayor, uh, again, Stephen Choi, council member Jeffrey Lalloway, then joined by Christina Shea. They rubber-stamped it, and boom, we've got a Chick-fil-A that is, uh, in, in many respects, a blight on our otherwise uh, outstanding planning. I must say, uh, Claudia, that a number of us tried to alert people on the campus. The lethargy uh, in terms of uh, campus personnel, administration, was uh, noticeable. None of them showed up uh, for the hearing, and as a result, a bad planning decision was made. What were the kind of terms that your planning commission appointments were trying to uh, negotiate, or was that not possible in terms of the scheduling of the agenda item before the commission and the council? What what were what were the kinds of uh, recourses in um, this process? Well, the so this is so that listeners can understand the kinds of opportunities and the need for negotiation at every step along the way for a development order, for a special permit or conditional use permit or anything. Yes. Well, the process for planning and land use uh, development, uh, the process requires uh, a specific application, certain environmental studies be undertaken, but it all has to come before the planning commission. Uh, the planning commission is a five-member entity appointed by the city council. The planning commission then reviews these plans and by state law must render a recommendation for or against to the city council. Uh, in this case, uh, this was a conditional use permit. Uh, it's 
a formalized kind of procedure, but the fact of the matter is the Planning Commission rushed it through. This is what we're experiencing now under this new fast-growth pro-developer city council, rushing through development, hoping citizens won't notice, hoping citizens won't participate, and that's what happened with this Chick-fil-A proposal. Now, the Planning Commission could have said no. Uh, they could have said no on a number of bases, and they could have, for example, said, we will not have a drive-through there. This is prime real estate. This is the frontage between the city and the university, and to have it uh, just be a string of fast-food restaurants is uh, an absurdity. And when you layer on top of that drive-throughs, it becomes an environmental blight. And again, I'm going to have to say that the professionals at UCI, the uh, administration, the planners, the people who get paid big bucks to uh, plan things right on the campus and adjacent to the campus, uh, they uh, evidenced no interest whatsoever in this matter. They were either totally asleep at the switch or complicit in a terrible planning decision. For the the kind of special condition approval that the council got or gave, what were the benefits for the displacement of um, some of the, well, for the use of that prime real estate you're talking about and for the, the air quality offset? Well, it's all about profit, of course. Uh, what they uh, were looking for, the Irvine Company and the Chick-fil-A uh, operation, was a location that would allow them to do much more business than would otherwise be the case um, and uh, make the Irvine Company more money and make, uh, of course, a good deal of money for the Chick-fil-A uh, operation and organization. And uh, that's what's going to happen now in uh, creating this restaurant uh, opportunity and the drive through as I indicated, they displaced 45 to 50 parking spaces. Now, parking is at a big, big premium in town center. It's very important. And uh, in eliminating all those parking spaces, they're also effectively uh, going to drive the farmer's market on the weekend away uh, because there's inadequate uh, parking for the farmer's market, that in turn adversely affects other businesses in the town center uh, during the week and on the weekends. Um, all I can say is this is uh, a case study in very, very bad planning, profit-driven, short-term driven, not looking to the long view, creating environmental problems of all kinds. Parking lots are bad enough. <laughs> uh, you know, they take a lot of space, and, of course, people have to drive to get get there. But when you add on top of it uh, displacement of parking spaces with a drive-through and all the idling vehicles, you've created, uh, as I say, a case study in bad land use planning. Did the Planning Commission consider, I mean, we're just, not that we're sort of a, a compulsively, obsessively uh, 
focusing on this, but it's just to illustrate some point, listeners, I want to say, did the the air quality from all that additional dieseling of the drive-through, was that addressed at the Planning Commission level? It was. Um, Planning Commissioner Marianne Guido, who is now a candidate for mayor and is challenging Mayor Stephen Choi, and I would urge your listeners to uh, uh, pay attention. This is a very important city council race. She raised all of these questions, and uh, my uh, appointee, Harvey Liss, uh, raised these questions as well, but the other commissioners just blew right past it. They didn't care. They just uh, waxed eloquent about uh, what a wonderful organization Chick-fil-A was. That wasn't even relevant, whether they're a great organization, a poor organization, whatever their principles are, whatever their political point of view is, none of that is relevant. What's relevant is, as you've indicated, uh, have we created planning problems? Have we created a localized adverse air pollution condition? Have we created safety problems? Uh, Not to mention uh, all the associated damage to other enterprises. Well, this is a a point that illustrates what will be uh, up for further consideration, and it's not a stretch to say that the Woodbridge Village Association, the the Woodbridge Village um, redevelopment proposals that are floating around now, what would be the uh, comp- what co- the composition of the council would say to determine that outcome? So you've talked about a displacement of our prized uh, Irvine uh, Farmers Market, the Saturday Market, which has become a very big institution around here. That's um, pulling from beyond my. Uh, my community that I'm serving with this uh, this extensive interview today, but uh, I'll go back to uh, what that Woodbridge redevelopment proposal might mean, and uh, this displaced farmers market, those kinds of things. What you see as a, a dynamic that could predict what different kinds of compositions of city council would would have us see. Well, if this city council majority manages to retain power you will see developers running even more wild in this city. Right now, they view City Hall as a candy store where they can bring in any development uh, proposal, any redevelopment proposal, all of it geared to enhance their profit uh, and uh, the public be damned. That is the case in Woodbridge where you have the Sterling Dental Center coming in with intense development or redevelopment being proposed that would add further automobiles and automobile trips in a residential village and would be very destructive of the enduring planning that has served the Woodbridge and Center City part of our community so well. Also, there's been speculation, and I want to underscore that. It's just speculation, although it has not been denied by the Irvine Company, that the Woodbridge Village Shopping Center, which is in the center of Woodbridge on Barranca, that that shopping center is uh, going to be shut down, demolished, and that there may be a proposal to put hundreds of condominiums and other housing units on that site. 
that would be a disaster. It also would be a violation of our existing general plan, which places caps on traffic and the number of housing units in Woodbridge Village, but it's further indication of what's going on with this city council, this Choi Lalaway uh, City Council. It's just been a planning disaster for the last two years, and it will only get worse if they are reelected. We'll get back to that in some more detail and package that with some other development considerations. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest for the entire hour is Irvine City Council member and candidate for re-election, Larry Agron, on Ask Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming in at drive-in backups on the world, around the world on the web at KUCI.org in the middle of our fun drive. Number to call, and we were getting some calls, thankfully, at 949-824-5824. And uh, you can just go online to KUCI.org. We've got premiums, folks, starting at 35 bucks, uh, and an honorary of, of our anniversary, 45th anniversary premium with a, a medley of things. Back now to Larry Agron, the, the guest uh, we've all been waiting for, for uh, to give some subject to some pretty tough questions. We're we're building up here uh, now. The uh, there's now an ad running on television about another um, development that was uh, another redevelopment, and that's with the Wild Rivers, and then a uh, how. You as a council member and Marianne Guido as a planning commissioner, both of you are implicated in forcing out Wild Rivers. Tell us what's the backstory we're missing there. Well, quite the contrary. We didn't force out Wild Rivers. Wild Rivers was leasing from the Irvine Company over the years. The Irvine Company wanted to pursue their development options on that land. And for, I would say, about... uh, Three to five years, we pushed back and told them no, they should give an extension. This was a commercial recreational opportunity that was, of course, very popular and something that uh, we wanted to see remain in the city. But they were on a lease, and the Irvine Company could have shut them down pretty much immediately years ago. But um, we, uh, we pushed back and uh, said that we wanted uh, Wild Rivers to have an opportunity to develop another site in town, perhaps at the Great Park. And uh, we, uh, we, I think, did everything we could uh, within the law to, uh, to see to it that Wild Rivers remained. But in the end, uh, that land was zone for residential development purposes and delay it as we might uh, that's what has proceeded so that was in the general plan that eventual residential build out yes okay so that's and the general plan is the theme folks to pay attention to whether and the general plan can be altered if there is a, a composition a, a, a plurality of of support on the council to override the general plan so if you're following the general plan uh, it may not necessarily uh, remain um, in the in the vision it was intended if there is an overriding in uh, at the legislative level, the city council. So now um, I'd just like to talk about Measure M. The other candidates had a chance to talk about that. There were three and a half million dollars available to the city. I, it is another uh, amenity that 
would serve the immediate UCI constituency. Could you talk to us about what your disposition was with those funds? Yes. Well, first, uh, kudos to uh, UCI, to the administration, uh, to the students who have been involved uh, as well in developing a UCI bus system and shuttle system that is just outstanding. Obviously, we desperately need uh, this kind of transportation shuttle systems all over town in order to uh, meet our mobility needs and do it in a way that is efficient, energy efficient, uh, low cost, and so forth. Uh, UCI has been a real leader in this field. The city of Irvine was slow to develop its shuttle system, but I was pleased that over five years ago uh, I and others instituted the iShuttle system, which is a shuttle bus system connecting commuters who come in by train uh, to uh, their workplaces. They're met by the iShuttle. They're taken to work in IBC, the Irvine Business Complex, or in Spectrum, or indeed, uh, over time, uh, many of them will be taken to UCI, we hope. Um, There's also a reverse commute, which is those people who live in Irvine who may work in downtown L.A. but go to the train station, they use the iShuttle as well. That system has been very successful over the course of the last few years, and we sought to expand it by taking advantage of Measure M. Those are sales tax dollars earmarked for transportation in Orange County. We put in millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars over time into that system, and it was our intention to uh, apply for and receive $3.5 million to expand, to extend and expand our iShuttle system, including connecting it to the university and having it connected as well to shopping areas in town, to Irvine Spectrum, to have a an integrated shuttle bus system. Well, lo and behold, that's our money that we were going to apply for, and this city council, wanting to take the city in a different direction, said no, they don't believe in free money. I pointed out it's not free money. It was $3.5 million for seven years to extend the iShuttle system. I said that's our money. We have put it into uh, the Measure M uh, fund, and it's about time we draw it out for ourselves and build our own transportation system here. Well, again, these uh, Tea Party types on the city council, know-nothing types uh, on the city council, they simply wanted to declare our independence from any outside funding, and so Three and a half million dollars that should have come to extend that system uh, instead went elsewhere, went to other cities. Okay, that was that. Uh, for those of you who've just joined us, my guest for this full hour is Irvine City Council Member Larry Agron here on Ask a Leader at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Well, 
there was no other rationale than it was not money that would be expended? I mean, I, I just want to know what was that three and a half million is a chunk of change, and it's money we were paying ostensibly at the spectrum, at the commercial nodes that would be the beneficiaries of uh, commuters going back to those places. So, uh, what was there any any sort of real rationale for returning those funds? No, it was ideological. It was ideological. It was, I think, to some extent, to spite the university community. Um, there was some indication that uh, anything that would better serve the university com- community was of no interest to them. Why do you think um, that rationale was considered? I think uh, these are folks who regard the university as uh, a liberal, progressive, democratic bastion, and uh, therefore uh, um, of uh, on uh, not on their team politically. I mean, this is an overgeneralization, but it is the kind of mindless sort of thinking that goes on where everything is politicized and almost uh, nothing is addressed simply on its merits. In the case of the shuttle system, this is money we have put into the system uh, to be able to draw back a little bit to extend and expand our existing program. That's a no-brainer, but that's the problem. Okay, now the full another a major brainer here. We're going to move into the it's the the big gorilla, the big elephant in the middle of the the family room or at the busiest intersections in our city, the Great Park. Larry, I want to I my all of my uh, of my little brain trust and my uh, my listeners and followers, they want to hear it unpackaged like we have not heard or seen it anywhere else in our local media, I'm going to ask you some really head-on questions about the Great Park. The moment, uh, as I said, truthfully, Larry Agron, at the inception of the Great Park, how much did you think it was necessary to fund this kind of an enterprise? And how long, truthfully, Larry, did you think it would take to largely build it out? We had uh, budget estimates from the first time that the master planner, uh, Ken Smith, came on board, the master designer. Uh, By the way, that was pursuant to an international design competition, which was acclaimed by the L.A. Times uh, and uh, across the country. Uh, Out of that, Ken Smith, uh, landscape architect, of uh, New York, um, organized a team. Uh, Their team organized uh, um, the entirety of the design operation, including all kinds of cost estimates from the very beginning. The cost was $1 billion to design it and to build what we refer to as the horizontal park, all the park and all its features. That wouldn't include... uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, indeed uh, billions over time, for uh, large museums, aviation museum, uh, perhaps a 
large uh, $200 million library and so forth, but all of the horizontal features uh, close to the ground other than buildings, uh, major, major buildings, uh, that would cost about a billion dollars over time. Um, we were and, how, and yes, go ahead. Sorry. We we were in partnership with Five Point Communities. It used to be Lennar, then Heritage Fields, Five Point Communities, which was going to build housing at the edges of the park. The park itself was about thirteen hundred acres. Housing would be built at the edges. The property tax increment gained from that uh, would be used to help underwrite the construction and operation of the park over a 40-year period, and that was under redevelopment law uh, that uh, put us in partnership with the state. Well, two things happened. One, the recession caused what is now Five Point Communities, to go through a virtual bankruptcy and reorganization. They didn't build a single thing for five, six, seven years, as it turned out. Not a single thing. They were disabled from doing that. Uh, at the same time, the state pulled the plug on redevelopment, and so our entire business plan had to be reorganized, what we decided to do was to take the $200 million that was paid to us initially from Five Point Communities in development fees that we charged up front. This was part of the deal that we negotiated after we killed the airport. And, uh, frankly, it's a deal that has boosted our net worth as a city by nearly a billion dollars because we own all that land out there. Okay. And, Anyway, uh, when all of this was, uh, was going down, the tremendous recession, uh, the deep recession, five points of virtual bankruptcy, the end of redevelopment, we took the $200 million that we had negotiated for as part of this initial deal, and we began to invest it in following through on $37 million that we expended for a comprehensive master design and master plan that will allow us to build the park out over the next 20, 30, and 40 years, whatever it takes. Uh, we also built $100 million in features. Demolition was $10 million. $90 million was expended on features such as the Palm Court and Arts Complex that's out there, the Balloon and Balloon Park, the Kids, Kids Rock uh, Play Facility, the 100-acre farm and farm and food lab that we created, the magnificent North Lawn, the Terrace Lawn, the festival site, the walkable timeline, the viewing pier, the restoration of... Uh, we have a uh, reflecting pond and viewing pier uh, out there, the restoration of uh, historic hangar 244, that is now reused and for which we attracted federal funds and federal award of funds. All those things have been built. We've got a, uh, uh, a permanent now uh, visitor center and pavilion. Uh, all of these things have been done in the worst of economic times. And we 
invested in programs. The Barclay Theater folks came over, organized our summer programming. We had free concerts for three years, four years running. Uh, we had uh, a pumpkin harvest festival. We had dances out there. We had all kinds of art exhibitions. We were attracting uh, up to a million people per year to the Great Park. The programming of the park, uh, out of that first $200 million, we spent uh, about 30 to $35 million on programming. And we also had, uh, after all that was done, all the design, all the construction, all the programming, we had about $35 million left as a fund balance. That's what happened to the first $200 million. And we did it all ourselves. Now, Larry, there's a couple of um, sort of cognitive dissonance uh, sort of in operation here. Is one, uh, my original question was about the the amount of money necessary and the time. I think when you first rolled out with the conversion plan uh, away from the International Airport to a, a great park facility, that there was one mind about one vision of how long it would take, and then there was the public perception that this park was going to go in before we all drop off and die, and we'll see it in our time. But um, I, I, So there, there's that vision that needed to be reconciled. And then uh, the other about the funding is I'd like for you to, um, well, let's let you address that, is the, the discrepancy of the time frame that you may have had uh, realistically, and what the public was thinking it was signing on to. Let's just address that, and then I'm going to go into the, the financing part. Sure. In 2005, when the real estate market was red hot, the projections were, if that condition continued for five years, and we had the benefit of housing being built at the edges and development at the edges of the park, uh, taking place at a rapid pace, as was going on in 2005, we would have a tremendous running start. We would have hundreds of millions of dollars in redevelopment money that would be coming to us, enabling us to build the park, and I did speculate about this publicly, in as quickly as 15 to 20 years. And, of course, it would be built in phases. As it turns out, when all that projected funding went away because the economy crashed and because the real estate uh, industry was in a depression and because redevelopment money was taken away from us uh, by the governor and the legislature, uh, when all that happened because they didn't want the state of California itself to go bankrupt, we nevertheless proceeded with the $200 million we had on hand. It costs about a million dollars an acre generally speaking, to develop a great metropolitan park. Uh, we've developed 200 acres. We developed it uh, for about 150 to $175 million, um, and uh, that's under a million dollars an acre. 200 acres have been developed. Let me add one other thing, yes. uh, because people tend to overlook this. Uh, because of my efforts, we're going to have a Veterans Memorial Park and Cemetery at the Great Park, that's going to take up another 10% of the park. Altogether, when the cemetery is built, plus the 200 acres we've got now, we will have built about 
of the entire great park. Uh, we've got a long way to go, but uh, we're in healthy shape. And by the way, again, our net worth out there, because we own the land, and by the way, in California, land is king, and the fact that the city of Irvine owns that land is just tremendous in terms of our net worth, the net worth of the land, plus cash on hand. We did settle on the redevelopment stuff because we sued the state, and so we've got another $300 million on top of that. We have roughly a billion dollars in net worth uh, at that park. Do we want to develop it more rapidly than has been developed? Yes. But what else was built in Orange County from the years 2007 to 2012? What other major public facilities were built? Zero. We pushed ahead when everybody else was pulling back. Larry, I want to also address, because the audit is uh, something that people, uh, we we may not see what the so-called audit that is uh, underway, um, uh, being pursued uh, at at the council level. I'd, I'd like to give you a chance to break down all the parties that were signing on to all those budget details for the Great Park over this time. Well, the Great Park has been a transparent enterprise controlled ultimately by the city council pursuant to all the procedures and transparency requirements under state and local law. Every penny is accounted for. Incidentally, even though they have spent over a million dollars in taxpayer funds. Who's they? The city council majority oh. now investigating others. These are these folks imagine themselves to be little Daryl Isis, you know, Benghazi, 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 the Great Park, the Great Park, the Great Park. And they keep running around saying things like, um, gee, where did all the money go? Well, I just spent ten minutes telling you kind of line by line and project by project where it went. We have line items everywhere for all of this. Everything has to be approved by the city council. We used to have a Great Park Corporation board that had a little more independence, but right now all power is concentrated in the council. Uh, No check can be signed off uh, without council approval. And then, of course, the signature of the mayor and Mayor Pro Tem on those warrants. Now, the so-called audit to find out, quote, where the money went is just a political witch hunt masquerading as an audit because it's gone on for nearly two years now, and uh, there has not been even one penny of unauthorized expenditure disclosed, nor has there been even one penny of unaccounted for funds. Well, I, I've heard, we've all heard the, the refrain about the witch hunt, but what I'm concerned about is that everybody understand that all appropriations toward those improvements, towards the vendors, towards the consultants, the designers, every single item had been approved by all of those uh, uh, serving on the council. There wasn't a uh, an individual, unilateral, insular uh, motion taken by any one or two council members, all council members were on board with reviewing each expenditure. Is that correct? That is correct. 
So that's that's a something that I'm just not seeing in the newspaper, and I wanted uh, to have you talk about that. Uh, we're... Well, Claudia, let me just say we rely on people like you and others, people who take their journalistic responsibilities seriously, who are not just stenographers for the right wing. Uh, the Orange County Register is uh, just a disgraceful newspaper. I wouldn't even characterize it as a newspaper. Uh, they simply tend to report whatever somebody says, particularly if it's a right-wing politician. And uh, I must say the same is true of the L.A. Times, which is non-existent as a practical matter here in Orange County. It's a shame. It's just a shame we don't have quality journalism. Uh, you're, you're providing uh, what, uh, what little we have in, in your own way, and I appreciate that opportunity. Well, I, I d- thank you for the, the time that you're going to give us. Um, and it's uh, as I want to remind listeners, I approached Jeff Lalloway several occasions. I'm not asking for a doctor slip about missing last week. Uh, I, I and I've approached Lynn Schott uh, many times about uh, accommodating her schedule. She could not be live, but I was happy to record either one of them at a. a at an earlier time for broadcast today, but I did not get responses back from them. So I've tried my hardest to balance it, and I'm giving recurrent the same questions of to all the candidates, starting with uh, Marianne Guido and Mayor Stephen Choi at the the first of these rounds of interviews. So I'm we're I think it's important we follow some of the money in the campaigns at this point. In your community news, you implicate Larry Agron, Five Point Communities developer of the homes around and current developer of the Great Park in financing your opponent's campaign war chest. Who is supporting your campaign? Our campaign is supported entirely by grassroots fundraising. And in my own case, I've lent my campaign uh, a good deal of money, a lot more than I should. But all of the expenditures in our campaign come from funds that we have raised that have gone into our own campaign committees, fully disclosed where it comes from. Uh, There is uh, no developer money in this uh, campaign for us. On the contrary, all the developer money is on the other side. And if you look at how they're funding their campaigns, they don't even have any significant fundraising of their own. It's all a so-called independent expenditure. This is the kind of thing that uh, has grown out of Citizens United, where corporations can basically be the outsourced um, entity to run the campaigns for the, uh, in this case, for the developer-backed candidates. In other words, Five Point Communities has put in uh, themselves and through their allied developers, uh, over $500,000 into this local race. Why, you might ask, would they put in so much to put out uh, so many vicious attack mailers against me and our team? Because we're not the kinds of people who simply rubber stamp their development proposals. we got a backbone. We're not 
We're not afraid to say no to developers. We're not afraid to stand up to them. We know they can be sometimes at their worst rapacious in their development of property without regard to the long-term planning of the city. And I've, uh, I've got a, a reputation for a willingness to say no to the Irvine Company, no to Five Point Communities, no to big developers anywhere who sometimes come in with, let's just say it, crappy proposals. Larry, I want to have you break down, though, and you say uh, grassroots organizations only. I mean, I know that Carl Rove has drafted uh, all kinds of grassroots, and the Koch brothers have grassroots organizations that they call it. Maybe we may call them faux grassroots, but they still call them grassroots. So can you break down any more detail who's supporting you? Who's supporting me? Supporting your campaign. Well, my campaign is supported by individual donors, by... uh, residents by, uh, yes, I, I do take uh, union support. I'm proud to take support from labor unions because their money all comes from the workers who put into their political fund. And, of course, in Irvine, uh, because of campaign contribution limits, uh, we can only collect $470 from any individual or any entity a couple, of course, uh, because that's two individuals, could give $940. But we have these strict campaign contribution limits. So of necessity, the funds that I raise are raised in, um, in uh, small amounts. And the Irvine uh, Community News and Views, who is uh, underwriting that? Well, that is a slate mailer organization. And... Uh, I and others help to underwrite it because we purchase space in Irvine Community News and Views for political advertisement purposes. That's uh, an organization and a, a slate mailer organization and a newspaper put together by a gentleman named Frank Lunding. He's the publisher. He uh, was a longtime resident here in Irvine, was on our planning commission was chair of the Transportation Commission, and has maintained an abiding interest in Irvine and Irvine politics, progressive politics, even though he himself is a uh, lifelong Republican. He's deeply dedicated to good planning. So it's it's his funding, it's uh, your per- personal campaign funding, and uh, he, any... He, any owns, he, owns he owns Irvine Community News and Views. So is he it is a political newspaper... And it is a um, a uh, slate mailer at the same time. So I I know a lot of people still have more questions. We could go on for another hour. I'm going to give people a chance to um, learn how you are reaching out to the UCI community for support in this last lap. How, whether you're involved in getting out the vote uh, on the campus, and how can folks follow your campaign, Larry Agron? We're going to be. Uh, Physically on the campus, uh, more and more, as uh, the last days of the campaign unfold, we will be distributing uh, 10,000 doorknob hangers, encouraging people to vote and vote for the uh, pro-resident and pro-university slate, the team, our own slow growth team, which is Marianne Guido for mayor and uh, 
myself, uh, Larry Agrin, and Melissa Fox for city council. Everybody has three votes, one for mayor, two for city council, and we encourage people to vote. Um, the tragedy is more than half the people uh, in the University Hills and University community area will not be voting, and that's a shame. People need to understand the importance of this midterm election, especially locally. So we'll be uh, distributing materials, uh, letting folks know where the election day voting booths are, uh, where the polling places are, and we encourage people to take 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, yes, if you're inclined, vote for Governor Jerry Brown and others at the top of the ballot, but for heaven's sakes, move all the way down the ballot and make sure that you vote in the local city council race for mayor and for city council. And quickly, uh, sort of equal time for all the candidates, how can people follow your campaign, Larry Agron? Uh, go to uh, LarryAgron.com, and uh, you can find my campaign that way. Same thing for Marianne Guido, G-A-I-D-O, Mary Ann, A-N-N, Guido, G-A-I-D-O, all one word, dot com. And in uh, Melissa Fox's case, it's vote, Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, Fox, dot com. And then I need to post a, a general announcement that today at 2 o'clock is a Great Park board meeting, and the Irvine City Council convenes at 5 p.m. We are wrestling Larry Agron from a, uh, a the tactical nap-taking that takes to, to uh, sustain one's vigor for marathon rides that are known uh, to be uh, the city council session. So uh, tonight's the night for uh, those before I get that podcast up and running. So I want to thank Larry Agron, current city council member and candidate again for re-election for being on this entire hour of Ask a Leader today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And vote, vote, vote. Okay. Let's do it. Well, thank you uh, so much for being on. And um, we'll stay tuned. We'll be watching this, and I'll be covering a bit if I can on the same day. Take care. All the best, Larry. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Well, I'm glad to hear some people are uh, giving us a ring here. Keep it on, 894-949-824-5824-KUCI.org for our fun drive. This brings to a close uh, our particular uh, program next week. It's election day, and that means I will be presenting to you a number of different voters. As well, we'll have UCI political scientist uh, Decipio back on for his national electoral analysis. And before I turn your ears over to George Rosales, George had a hat, let me remind you once again about our Fall Fund Drive. The many shows that we bring to you are like no other into which you can tune. Heather McCoy, investigative and absurdity-seeking Heather McCoy show, Writers on Writing, Weekly Signals, Counterspin, and a, a new favorite of mine, a new delight, Nora Cabarra's Curiosity Save the Cat. You can't get it nowhere else, folks, in this county. I only mention a few programs that will fill your mind with amazing material. 949-824-5824. Or you can go online. Well, there's the PayPal account we've got open here on the web at KUCI.org to tell us you're getting those messages and that you appreciate them. 
talk with you next week. Thank you for listening.